Okay, everybody, welcome back to another episode of One of These Years. I'm, of course, Nick Baumgartner, along with the great Chris Burke. Chris, a Lions win Monday is not something we <laughs> we see often, but we've now seen it twice this year. I don't know. I don't know how people felt about that one, one or the other, but how are we doing, first of all, and then uh, early thoughts <laughs> before we get into this whole uh, situation? Uh, doing fine, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I was trying to kind of gauge Twitter yesterday and after the game just to see if this moved the needle at all for anyone. Um, yeah, right. And I think he's still there's still like the section of people that like this is now we can get the ball rolling. Like there's some winnable games coming up, like we talked about. Like this is going to be the one that gets it going. They look pretty good. Uh, and then there's a pretty large faction that either it's like that it's the Jaguars. It doesn't count, or mad that Matt Patricia and Bob right. Quinn banked to win. So right. kind of all over the map, and you know, still in this weird gray area with everything. There was a fair amount of that yesterday on Twitter, uh, as there always is, of course. But there was like at one point, I, th- I think it was after Swift's big run, the 54-yard or whatever it was, or however long that big one was. Uh, you know, it was something like, you know, I tweeted something about the run or whatever. And then the reply was like, well, it's not like Jacksonville's good or anything. And my answer was like, okay, well, then it doesn't count. I guess we'll just erase that off the stat sheet. And then the guy comes back with like, look, man, I just want these guys fired. So I don't care how <laughs> this goes. And you're like, oh, well, are we going to just do this? For the next several weeks, and the answer, unless there's positive change, I feel like, in the right direction, is from the fan base perspective, I don't even know if I can blame them. I mean, like, at this point, I, I have a hard time blaming them for that one. I mean, obviously you feel good about it in the moment, but it's like, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me a thousand times, right? I mean, it's it's understandable, I guess, to a degree. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that's on Jacksonville, just being yeah. a bad team, you know? Because a, a lot of the stuff that they did, the Lions did in that game were things that we've been talking about them needing to do, and they came out and did it, and it was a pretty complete performance. Uh, you know, I mean, it was basically a wire-to-wire win. Um, and so they did a lot of the stuff that we said they needed to do if they are going to be a better team. So you either take that as, all right, there's progress, or as, okay, well, they had two weeks to get ready for the Jaguars, <laughs> and now yeah. we'll see what happens with the... Falcons coming off a win and uh you know Indianapolis is is playing well so a couple more opportunities here to prove that this is actually happening Mm -hmm. and there were some interesting developments I suppose or or at least you know different wrinkles off the bye and I want to start defensively as you know there there were some differences in alignment early uh personnel early Patricia talked a lot about scaling back some of the stuff, I think, which, you know, we can get into this too, but that also seemed to include, you know, heaping more on Trey Flowers' plate and asking more of the guys that you know you can trust. What were your your, your impressions defensively? Because it did f- look different. It felt different. Some of that's Jaguars related, but it, it did feel like when the, when the right 11 was on the field, they had a better chance, right? It wasn't just one, like we talked about in the last couple of weeks of just seeding yards. I mean, I'm curious your thoughts on defensively, just the look and feel, at least early. Yeah, I thought it was interesting, maybe not surprising, that we saw a different look up front right away. You know, they had John Penasini in there playing the nose for most of his snaps, maybe all of his snaps. I haven't yeah. really gone back and watched him exclusively. But, um, you know, and he was playing right there, and then you had Danny Shelton next to him, so that gives you a little opportunity to move Shelton around a bit. And then Trey Flowers played really well. So that's three of your four spots that you – felt pretty good about the way those guys have been playing and uh then you you know you plug in the other side with Nick Williams was in the starting lineup but you know Romeo Okora was out there a bunch and um so I thought that the front obviously played a lot better and uh, you know mm-hmm. right from the first snap uh Jacksonville tried to run on the first snap of the game and Penasini and Shelton kind of collapsed the middle of the line and they lost a couple yards and it was most of most of that the game went like that so I, I thought that that was um that was impressive from them, and you, you mentioned how well Flowers played. I don't know that he gets enough mm. credit for the types of stuff that he does. And yeah. Obviously, you want to see the sacks, but uh, that was kind of the the prototypical Trey Flowers performance where he's really good against the run. You know, He dropped and had that huge hit on, on DJ Shark in coverage um, and then had the strip sack. So, you know, really good up front, and then you kind of just plug in the gaps behind that. And, you know, we talked about it after the uh, Arizona game. When Jamie Collins plays well, like, yeah. like that's that's not everything, but that's a, a lot, lot of the puzzle yeah. for the Lions defense. Yeah, it's a lot, and and like, not to not to flowers. I mean, I, I'd have to go back and you know we'd have to go back and look at every game last season. But I feel like you know obviously opponent t- 
take into account whatever, that felt like the best game overall we've seen from Trey Flowers. And I really don't know how you ask someone to play better. Like he, they asked him to drop and cover. They asked him to play that jack spot on the edge, which, you know, when they were with four down on the field, he was setting the edge. Um, Part of the reason why Julian Okwara gets a pressure on that first series is Flowers is lined up at nose tackle and drives a guard into a tackle and creates a lane. I mean, like he's... They heaped a ton on his plate, and he answered the bell. And you mentioned about Collins. We talked about this after the Arizona game. When Collins, Harmon, and Flowers, along with maybe like Danny Shelton, I suppose, in that sense he was that day, but maybe not this day. When Collins, Harmon, and Flowers are like at the top of their game and doing everything, like they're much, much better than you can feel it. It It feels like it takes pressure off everyone else. And it was noticeable, especially with Flowers and Collins. I mean, in the box, when they're allowed to just kind of be in there and, and you know, when you have the right alignment and you have the right guys around them, it, it seems like it's 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 for the best. But, but it also always goes back, Chris, like, we talked about this yesterday, right? Like, we were messaging back and forth. I feel like half the time, if they would just play their best 11 and just leave it alone, <laughs> right. yeah. like, maybe they'd be like 8-8 eight eight or something. Like, I don't, I don't know, but, like, if they would just... Stop tinkering and play the best guys that they have available. They certainly wouldn't have this many frustrations. I mean, am I wrong? Like, I, I don't know. I mean, what, what, where, where do you land on this after, you know, a day of this? Yeah, no, after? I don't think you're wrong. I mean, I think some of it's, it's sort of the same argument on offense, which I'm sure we'll get into a little yeah. bit here. But, you know, they had eight. I'm just trying to count it up here as we're talking. Eight guys on defense play at least 70% of the snaps. And yeah. 10 play at least 55% of the snaps. And it's... Pretty much the 10 you'd expect. I mean, Jaron Curse is in there, uh, which yeah. is a bit of a wrinkle that they that we've seen you know, since he's been back. He's basically, I mean, removed Will Harris from the depth chart, more or less, uh, mm-hmm. and, and playing kind of that hybrid safety linebacker role. But otherwise, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of the names that you'd expect to be up there, and I think you kind of see the results of that because that not only does that get your best guys on the field you know, in those key spots, I think it also gives you more of an opportunity to kind of play with what you can do with Jared Davis if he doesn't have to be out there every, you know, he's, he's right. played pretty well in when he's only had to do 10 snaps a game, you know, if you <laughs> yeah, can just right. throw him out there and let him run around for 10 snaps, uh, that energy certainly helps in the second half to have a guy like that, you know, and to, and to yeah. get, and same with Tavai and Christian Jones, I think that was one of the big things too, you know, Christian Jones only played uh, 22 snaps uh, mm-hmm. in the game so that's a you know he's they've been gradually rolling him back too and uh, I, I mean I think you've you kind of felt that that, that linebacking core we've talked about it, it seems like it's at its best at least when they're in the you know their two linebacker setups it seems like it's at its best in terms of an all-around sense when it's Collins and Reggie Ragland for better yeah. or worse and uh, that's what what they got and I you know I guess the other part of this discussion I'm curious to get your thoughts on this like let's just say they stick with this say they go Collins and Reggie Ragland do you chalk that up to a coaching staff doing a really good job of adjusting on the fly and sort of realizing where their strengths and weaknesses are or does it concern you that you know all these guys that they thought they were going to be relying on haven't developed to the point where you can play them maybe a little bit of both (laughs) it is it's both it's it's firmly a little bit of both but the first part there the one that you just said you know has to be part of the equation you know, you brought Reggie Ragland in here and Jamie Collins in here for a reason. And it's important now that we're on October 19th sitting here talking that you remember why you brought him here. And you brought him here because the guys that you invested high draft picks in and Jared Davis and Jelani Tavai haven't done anything that would make it. And Tavai, it's a, it's a shorter, you know, scale or whatever, obviously, and he hasn't played as much as Davis. But, you know, he has not been good this year. I feel like they've given him... You know, maybe more reps than he's probably earned, frankly, by you know some of his game performance, especially in tackling. I mean, he's just you know the two missed tackles he had yesterday. I mean, the Minshew one was sort of indicative of what he's working against at times with sort of his athleticism in the box like that. If you're going to ask him to stand in there and spy, and then the one where he just kind of wildly overruns the ball uh, and runs into Walker, you know, on the Chenault play, the third and three. Like, man, that's bad. That's not, that's like the <laughs> that antithesis awful, of yeah. what a Matt Patricia linebacker is supposed to do. Like, right? Like, that, like, Walker doesn't make the tackle there, and Chenault's kind of a, you know, badass. I mean, he's really good, so that's, you know, fair enough. But, but Walker's job there, at very minimum, is to bounce the ball back inside 
And then Tavai's job is to funnel down and make the tackle. It's to, cl- it's to clean it up. And he came in out of control, bounced off of Chenault, bounced into Walker, and all of a sudden you got a first. That is so not what they're trying to get out of their line. You know, they talk a lot about complementary football. You know, one guy's going to set up leverage and make sure the ball gets pushed back in. When it does, you have to be there and you have to strip the ball. Don't strip the ball and try to cut, recover it yourself. Somebody will be coming in pursuit to help you, right? It's all one thing works with another, with another, with another. And Tavai right now, similarly to what we've seen with Davis, it's too much. Like, it, it, it's too fast, too little, whatever. But So all that's true. All that's there. Stop forcing him into the game because you spent a second-round draft pick on him last year and you feel like you have to. Raglan's been better. Like, I mean, at this point, we talked to last week, burn the boats. I mean, you got to play your best guys. And it, it, Raglan's here. He's been better. Maybe Tavai, you know, will take this and, and, and start ramping it up and pick it up or whatever. I don't know. But if you want to just survive week to week, you have to play your best 11. So I think you tip the cap in some ways in saying, like, hey, they're making the right adjustments by making sure the best guys are in there no matter how they got here. But also, yes, you are concerned with it's the same thing that's hanging over the whole organization's head. Like, Jared Davis is a first-round draft pick not that long ago, played 11 snaps yesterday against the Jaguars. Okay? Like, that's not good. That's not ideal. But it's the situation that you're dealing with, and it's self-created stuff that you have to navigate through. So on one hand, I think it is a positive that you know they were making the right calls. But on the other, yeah, you do worry about it because it's what are you gonna when is this, when is this gonna turn around with these young dudes and you know especially Tavai now, you know it's it's still early and there's still plenty of time. But you know I mean we're a good chunk in here and I don't know I mean what's your thought? Have you seen enough from him to justify what was a head scratching pick at the time uh, and kind of what's 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 the read on the whole thing right now? Yeah, not not yet certainly. I mean I don't I'm with you. I don't think you throwing the towel it's been you know right. one full season and one you know and I saw you in your Michigan game by game preview you wrote something like whatever we're calling <laughs> the, yeah, whatever we're whatever referring we're to this year, season yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so whatever we're calling this season uh you know so certainly you know from a developmental standpoint that doesn't help and also I think you look back to last year and you kind of talk about the guys he was learning from uh and it's primarily Jared Davis who's a great guy in the locker room yeah uh but We've seen the the problems on the field, and Christian Jones. We've seen the problems on the field. So now you bring in Collins and Ragland, and it might not hurt him to sit there and kind of watch these guys play right. for a little bit. Because Ragland, you know, he's certainly, uh, you know, he's a, a limited linebacker. Uh, you know, he's not a guy that's going to go sideline to sideline and cover everyone in the world and and be one of those guys. But I think we've seen him be, you know, he's a solid tackler. He's been effective. A very effective at times as a as a pass rusher as a blitzer so I think you just it, it wouldn't hurt for divide to just kind of check that out and that you know the fundamentals thing that the missed tackle on Chenault that's yeah that's really the the most worrisome thing for me because you, pro football focus has him graded as the Lions worst tackler right now through oh. five games and I think we've seen that I mean I yeah, think it's just it's been, been bad clear. form it's been bad approach and uh so yeah I don't I I think it is smart to scale him back. We said, you know, Reggie Ragland probably should be getting more reps if this defense was going to have a chance, and and we saw that. You know, I don't know. Again, this is sort of what we did after the Arizona game. We said, all right, well, you you kind of had a good design for Kyler Murray. You could confuse mm-hmm. him a little bit. Uh, you know, you knew you could maybe box him in, force him into some tough throws, and now the same thing. You knew the Jaguars were going to try and run, so you went pretty run heavy, took that away from him. You know, Gardner Minshew's – a, yeah. a decent young quarterback, but in third and seven, third and eights, that's where you want him to be. And now you got to go play Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, and <laughs> so can right. you do the same thing next week? And I don't, I don't really know what their answer is going to be at this point. Yeah, it's it's very interesting overall because there still is a lot of we you know we mentioned Penasini. I think part you mentioned Christian Jones too. I think part of Christian Jones's reps dipping here would be Penasini's going up maybe in that scenario. I don't know if that would hold up. Um, I don't know if, if, you know, you want to continue to sort of shuffle with the linebackers or just let them sort of be. I mean, I would think at this point you have to let them be, but look and feel, it felt like whatever it was yesterday, no matter what going forward, that's kind of what it has to be. I I just, I just don't know how, I mean, we haven't touched on it yet, but Will Harris plays one snap. Um, you know, Walker was out there as we expected the beginning of the year. Walker's the strong safety the entire game alongside Harmon, and in this case, J. Ron Kirst comes in as, as kind of your dime or nickel uh, extra box defender. What's your what's your thought here now on... We've talked a little bit about Harris 
Walker curse, the whole thing. Where are you at on Will Harris at this point? Can we chalk this up to this, maybe something similar with Tavai, where maybe your best hope would be is to let me, sit him on, make him stand on the sideline and watch and, and just sort of slow down, you know, because it's not, he's only a second, you know, it's third year, I guess. He's in the middle of a weird year, obviously, but he's not that old. It's not, you know, it hasn't been forever. I don't know if you just cut bait tomorrow on the guy, but it hasn't been good, and, and you know, I don't know what else to do. I mean, I'm curious, what, what what do you do with Will Harris at this point other than what he's doing right now? I feel like that's a, that's all you can do is have him stand there and, and sort of watch because it's just not working when he's in the game. Yeah, uh, I said Tavai was the worst defender, uh, tackling <laughs> defender on PFF, but uh, that was just for yesterday. The game. So yeah. I <laughs> apologize to Jelani Tavai. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it is probably similar, and I think it goes back to your point where, you know, the goal here has to be just to get your best guys on the field first and mm-hmm. foremost and then sort of figure it out from there and stop worrying so much about like, well, this guy, you know, maybe Will Harris matches up a tiny bit better on paper with this guy than J-Ron yeah. Kirst does. I mean, you just can't do that. You're not, you don't have the depth to be able to, to play the matchups like that, really. I mean, you just got to put guys out there who know what they're doing. And I think uh, Kirst, again, you know, he's not a flawless player, but I think he was better yesterday uh yeah, than Will Harris maybe has been in any game as a lion, frankly. <laughs> I mean, he might have been. I mean, he was fine. He was fine, right? He was fine. And yeah. he, made, he only had a, a pressure on Minshew. He, he's a guy that you can come down and use like that. I mentioned, like, his size uh, in our mm-hmm. observations. I, I mentioned, like, he's almost, like, he's not as big as, as Jared Davis. But with his size and the way he plays physically, it's not that much different if you're blitzing Jared Davis or you're blitzing Jaron Curse through the A gap. Like it, yeah. it, it can function in the same way or in a similar way. And I think, you know, he's effective there. And, um, you know, they really like having that third safety on the field who can kind of help, you know, play kind of that overhang role in the slot and help you come down in the box. And I think he's certainly been more effective through his two games than Will Harris was in that role. But yeah, I mean, I think it is. Just to tie it back to Tavai, it is the same thing, you know, as we've talked about. Last year, they traded Quandre Diggs, Tracy Walker got hurt, and suddenly Will Harris is starting at free safety every week, and teams are just like, sure, let's just throw it wherever he is. And it worked, and uh, it wasn't his fault necessarily. And so I think it's not a terrible idea to just rewind it all and scale it way down and hope that things can slow down. That's been the the talking point for him as it always has been for Jared Davis. Like, can you get him to slow down and process what's happening in front of him before he reacts? And we haven't really seen him do that. So maybe, you know, letting him sit and, and watch will help. Speaking of slowing down. And I think this is important to note together here is, uh, Amani Awari has a really nice game yesterday. And by and large, I think he's had a nice season. Uh, you know, last year he had his up and down deals as a rookie, Going through it, I thought when they drafted Awarie, having you know, I obviously covered the Big Ten. I thought that was a nice pick. That was a nice value where they got him. I think he can be a nice player. You know, still a lot to do, obviously, but a nice day from him. Sort of as we get near midway of year two. But if you flip it to the other side and you look at Okuda, who's still in the middle of year one without the offseason and all this other stuff, there's there's still parts of what he's doing that that show you why everyone loved him. Um, you know, the tackling, the willingness to support in the run game, the ability to shrug everything off and just kind of keep it moving. Um, but also, man, like there's still some of this, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's, you know, he's too deep into his own head or he's pressing too hard or whatever, but he's still sort of making mistakes as he adjusts to the speed of receivers at this level, which is something all rookie corners go through, including somebody like Awarie, who... You can see him now on the opposite side of this, where he maybe is trending upward. I, I have a hard time with with the um, sort of timeline scale on Okuda, right? Like, when do you want that plane to sort of lift off the runway and start elevating with some some steeper altitude? I, I have a hard time. I don't know. You know, I don't know when. I mean, he <laughs> he seemed like he was better overall yesterday, but still made some pretty critical errors. One of which. You know, Minshew had him beat for a touchdown, and he just missed the throw, so he get away with it there. But like, where, where are you? I wrote a little bit about him this morning, and that some of this just needs to start going away now. I don't know where are you at with Okuda because I mean, it's it's a, it's such a unique situation with with this year and everything else. So many eyeballs on him. I think he's pressing, but I mean, I think that's all understandable still at this point. You know, for a rookie. 
Yeah, I mean, I I think a lot of what you said holds true, and certainly to see him bounce back from giving up the the big play, you know, you always yeah. kind of watch to see how these young guys are going to react. And I think by this point, we know that he's going to be uh, kind of okay to come back and stay in the game and still be a factor. And also, as you said, I mean, the, that deep ball he got burned on, I mean, that could have been six. That was mm-hmm. a terrible effort and coverage. I mean, I don't know. I, he looked yeah. like he got caught between trying to jam him and just run with him, and he, you know, he just yeah, let he him bought go on by. The, he bought on the out and <laughs> yeah. then just, like, lost himself, um, yeah. And and the other one, too, you know, that that was a uh, the one that was almost a touchdown. I mean, that that's a tough assignment. No safety help over the top. Mm-hmm. It's a crossing route, and, and the cover or the pressure got there, so you got what you wanted, but – he wasn't. I mean, he tripped and fell, but he wasn't close to that route. Yeah. That was going to be a touchdown if the throws there. So yeah, I mean, that's it's got to get better. You're right, and I think um, it is kind of interesting to watch him uh, in contrast with what's happening with Oruwariye because mm-hmm. I think Oruwariye has been really good this year, and I kind of just think back even to to last year and um, where he was like at the very start of last year and. You know, it's all these little things that Matt Patricia demands of his cornerbacks and wants to see, you know, those fundamentals and techniques. Like I wrote at some point during training camp last year um, about how Oruwariya got beat up the sideline and then, you know, recovered and made a diving breakup on a pass and like got up and, you know, did the finger wag or whatever, the celebration. And Patricia came over and just chewed him out for diving (laughs) at the ball and not running through it and getting his hands in there and like, now you're seeing him do all these little things that, yeah. <laughs> that Patricia wants guys to do. Uh, and I think that that, you know, as we talk about maybe uh, the linebackers not developing, I think there's been pretty clear development from Imani Oruwariye. And so that gives you some hope that this is going to start clicking a little more uh, for Jeff Okuda. And again, I think it was better um, after the first quarter. I think, again, yeah, he's very active coming down and trying to make plays against the run or on those short passes. And uh, so eventually you would think it might start to look better in coverage too. And uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know how much they also want to cover him up. They ended up playing a ton of zone mm-hmm. Sunday, which I think some was by design and some was because they were up 20 points in the yeah. third quarter. So I don't know how much you even read from that. But, uh, I mean, I think the arrow is still pointing up. It's just it, it, we thought it might be clunky at times. It's been yeah. clunky. Yeah, Awari 8, for, for, for the record here, PFF had him – Two catches on ten targets allowed with three pass breakups yesterday, including that deep shot where it looked like whoever he was covering, I can't remember who he was covering, had a step on him, but he ran with him on the hip and got the hand in there, like you said, ran through the ball, got his hand in there, and made like one of the best individual plays a Lions defensive back has made all season. Maybe the best, yeah. that that deep shot. Like yep. So you can see it trending that way, and you can see why, like you said earlier, it's, it was important to note some of those like you know, little coaching points that are paying off now, you know, and I still think Jeff Okuda is going to get there. I still think he's going to be the guy everybody wants him to be. And I think even in the in the game yesterday, you could see that that out and up route that he gets beat on. I mean, he sells so hard. He, get, he bites on the out. I think he's trying to make a play on the ball. I don't know if he's trying to pick it, but, he, you know, he, he sees out and that's where he's going. And he's either underestimating how fast, you know, that receiver can turn the corner or he's just reaching but the thing that you like about it is, so he gets beat badly, and it probably should have been a touchdown, but he closes like a 15-yard gap in like <laughs> half a second, yeah, right? right? So you see him do that, and you're like, okay, well, he's he's got it. But then in the next breath, you're like, he's too talented to be doing this stuff, to be messing, you know, that stuff has to go away. That's the stuff that he didn't, you know, that didn't hurt him at Ohio State. Um, and it didn't look, it looked like it didn't hurt him because he was in, he was just knew what he was doing, but... I don't know what it is, confidence, whatever, you know, I suppose maybe that's something that comes in time, but, you know, he's going to continue to get picked on. I actually thought they would pick on him a little bit more than they did. Um, but, you know, it only gets harder as you go forward, so I guess we'll have to we'll have to see about that. Any other uh, defensive thoughts before we move over to the offense here? Uh, no, I mean, I'll, I'm disappointed that Julian Okora got hurt early because he came yeah. in and he had the one pressure. It looked like they were actually going to use him. Um, yep. And I was feeling pretty good about that article I wrote last yeah. week saying that they should use him and then he got hurt. Um, but I mean, it looked like he was going to be more involved at least from the, you know, five snaps or whatever it was we saw him before he got hurt. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't, I mean, I thought Tracy Walker was solid again and you know, Deron Harmon made another one of those plays that Quandre Diggs 
probably yeah. makes on that throw midshoe. <laughs> I mean, that was Ooh. a bad throw, but um, you just see again that having Duran Harmon back there, uh, at least compared to what they had post the Quandre Diggs trade, is right. just such a huge difference and really gives them more of a chance to uh, compete on some of those deep routes, which I think also, you know, that that in theory should help Oruwariye and Okuda and all those cornerbacks too. So I think that, that that's a big improvement yeah. for them when Harmon's playing well. Offensively, the Lions were fine. <laughs> I think I would say that that's – I mean, you got, you got Swift going. There were some things that were done in this game that were a little weird with the injury stuff up front on the offensive line, but by and large this felt, Chris, like – a much more comfortable, um, assertive, this is what we're doing, let's go do it, and let's get out of here type of game plan that you see on the road from teams that know what they're doing. Stafford felt more comfortable, I guess. Um, And then I guess the other takeaway for me off the top would be, you know, your run game before those guys started getting dehydrated was getting anything it wanted. And obviously you were able to get Swift loose a little bit too. But I want to start with Stafford because you wrote about him a little bit earlier today. And then we can maybe get into some other stuff, including Kenny Galladay and everything else around him. But what did you sort of see from Stafford? Was there anything that you, you noticed from him that we hadn't seen in the previous handful of games? Uh, obviously, they wanted to work the middle a little bit more in this one. But what, what's your what's your sort of takeaway there on that one? Yeah, I did think they worked the middle more effectively. I, I mean, the one play that I mentioned was his scramble because I think, the, and we talked about it last week uh, on the podcast. You know, the one thing that stood out to me in that New Orleans game was just how quickly he was trying to get out of the pocket, uh, yeah. even if the pocket was there. It looked like he was he wanted to get rid of the ball as soon as he could, or just get out and go. And you know, he's been all right scrambling this year. He's had some plays like that one he had Sunday. It was you know, seventeen yarder. But I think the thing that stood out for me on that seventeen yarder was that that was. You know, that wasn't like a drop and immediate go. That was a drop and go through four or five progressions mm-hmm. and then take off once everything opened up. And I think you saw that through a lot of the game. You know, he still had a couple like the uh, – I think it was a, a third down maybe right at the start of the fourth quarter where, you know, the, they had like third and six and he had Galladay coming on the crossing route and he just flipped one out behind carry on Johnson for an incompletion. Like, you know, there's a couple of those plays where – uh, maybe he felt a little rushed, but I thought overall he looked a lot more confident in what was happening in front of him. That probably goes hand-in-hand hand with the run game working, I'm sure, uh, that you have a little more of that yeah. balance and the play action's working and you're not in third and nine all the time. But yeah. uh, I did think he looked more, not all the way back to where we saw him last year. Uh, he's still missing throws, um, but I thought he looked better, certainly, than he did for most of that Saints game. Swift gets a chance for extended time here in this one, really for the first time, I suppose, in the run game. Um, and some of that was, you know, the 54-yarder that he had, a lot of that, I mean, I I have to think Adrian Peterson probably would have gotten 40 on that, maybe. Maybe he gets a 54, <laughs> I don't know, you know, carry on. Probably would have gotten something that was really well-blocked play. Uh, but there are other parts of that game. There's a couple cuts Swift makes. There's a point where he is able to get through a hole um, in the box and then run over, I think it was a safety or a linebacker even. I'm not sure who it was he ran over, but there was a few things that we saw from Swift that I was I had gotten used to sort of seeing when we watched everything from him at Georgia uh, a guy who can change directions without losing steam who has more kind of pop and, and physical you know whatever you want to call it Brady Hoke used to call it physicalness I don't know if that's still a word but we can go, we can use that more of that than maybe you realize and then also everything that we already know about him with you know the route running and everything else like the question keeps getting at, like, is he going to get more carries? Is he going to get more carries? Is he going to get more carries? And I don't think that you're in a situation where you're going to ding Peterson's numbers down very far. He kind of is what he is for you. And this, his role has been pretty established. Um, but, but I don't know. Is this 29, 29 reps? What do you have? 14 carries, something like that. 16 run reps, 14 carries. I don't know. 10 pass reps. Is that about right? Uh, should it be more? I mean, your thoughts on a really impressive day from a guy who I think we'll probably see a lot more from, and then where does this all head as we move forward, I suppose? Because carry on obviously has to be part of this equation in the discussion. Does he? Uh, I mean, he has to be part of it for right <laughs> now, yeah, at this okay. point, because uh, what are you doing with him, right? Like, yeah. That's kind of the, yeah. Yeah, and I I don't want to, yeah. yeah well, careful yeah, not you're to saying, bag on sure. carry on Johnson <laughs> right. either, because I think he had, you know, he's not producing much, but as we talked yeah. about, he's been effective when they've asked him to do everything right whatever else they wanted to do he's gotten in there and done it uh, I mean I think carry wise 
that felt about right. I think yeah, that's I where they're going to settle. Like 15, maybe you max him out at 20 if he's really, really going well. But yeah. I don't think he's going to be a 25, 30 carry guy for me or for them. Um, yeah. But he also shouldn't be a four or five carry guy right. like he was the first quarter of the season. So that felt about right. I mean, I think the next challenge is balancing out what he's doing on the ground uh, You know, with the receiving work. He had, what, three catches for seven yards. I mean, that's that's a throwaway day as a receiver. Um, So I think that that's the next step. It's kind of balancing that out. But yeah, I mean, uh, that ability to cut at full speed, like you mentioned, that was the one thing that above his, his patience, I think is one thing that stands out. And then the ability to cut at full speed was the other one watching his tape coming into this year that really jumped off the screen. And you just see those cuts where Mm -hmm. other guys have, you know, you got to throttle it down and kind of wait for people to hit you, and he's still going at top speed, and it lets you get some of those. You know, the fifty-four yarder wasn't really, yeah. <laughs> didn't really fall into that category, but a lot of those other carries did, and I think that, you know, he's that separates him from on Johnson, and you know they are he and Peterson are very different backs, and they're going to be used very differently in this offense, and so I think the Lions are comfortable with, you know, they don't want Peterson to average two point seven like he did Sunday, but they're comfortable with him getting four four yards a carry, three yeah. yards a carry, and just sort of helping them establish everything else early in the game and then, you know, maybe getting the red zone work or some late game work. So I think that felt about right. The one A, one B they might have with Swift and Peterson. Did you I mean, do you think he needs more? I, I mean I think exactly what you said. I think fourteen to sixteen or like ten to sixteen, somewhere in there. Like if they'd played a fourth quarter uh, that was, you know, maybe more competitive or something, and you want to run run the clock out there. I have no problem going back back and forth with he and Peterson in that scenario. I would have had a problem if they would have rotated carry on in. I guess in that's in that sense, I did have an issue earlier in the game. You mentioned the play with where Stafford flipped one to carry on, uh, and I think it was actually on a read where there might have been somebody else open somewhere else, but carry on was wide open in the flat, and the ball ends up being complete. Whatever. Why is Swift not? That guy, you know, like why is he not in some of those instances? I don't know. Um, I don't know. I, I yeah, I feel like it's. I, I don't think anybody on this team is going to be a twenty-five carry a game guy. I don't think that it, that's that's not the design. That's not uh, what they're here to do. I think that's just modern football. That's being smart. You know, there's nobody on this team that I would consider, you know, so so dynamic and so amazing that you have to have. It's not you know no no Zeke Elliott out here, right? So. I think you're right in a, in a good wheelhouse. And Patricia had a good, you know, good point yesterday. You know, when he said, you know, and I wasn't here. I, you were covering him. You know, when Carrion had his rookie year and had a nice game, the first one. You know, the the message is okay. Well, you know, let's calm down and understand that you know this is still a long way to go. And I don't want to speak ill on anybody one way or the other because I don't think it was a case where Carrion was, you know, oh, I made it. Now I'm going to be a superstar or whatever else. I don't think that's him at all. Uh, but I certainly know that that's not DeAndre Swift either, and I and I think that I, I just I think he's right that that right there what we saw yesterday was a really good spot for him. I think that's about what it should be, and I just I, I still think even though this whole thing is odd, and now you're in a situation where you've got two guys, two young guys, maybe that maybe carry on and Swift are your future. Maybe Peterson's here to stabilize yourself one year, and you decide that the combination of Swift and Carrion can actually work, which I could I could buy. I could buy that as they go forward. I mean, we see a lot of two-back stuff in the NFL now with dynamic backs, you know, guys that are versatile enough that can go out and split out and run routes and move around in motion. I could buy that. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Carrion's got to, you know, either get healthy or get a little more consistent, obviously, but it's possible. I mean, I don't hate what they have. It's just a little jumbled. And I think Peterson probably confused a lot of people when they brought him here. But if you really look at why he's here, given what you know, what you didn't know you were going to get from Carrion, I think it does make sense. Yeah. But I think this is this is kind of it felt it felt like what it needed to feel like. I don't know. I, that's I guess the best I can put it. Yeah. I mean, I would just add in terms of the I guess the reps or the usage. You know, they had still had the one play, Stafford. I, maybe it was a I don't know if it was a hot route or if it was just a misread or whatever. But Swift ran a go up the sideline. Oh, yeah. Stafford tried to throw, you know, he had some pressure. He was looking for him on a comeback route right at the sticks. Uh, and when someone, whoever asked the question to Matthew Stafford after the game about what he thought of Swift, that was the first thing Stafford yeah. brought up. You know, well, we had the one we'd like to have back. And I think that that's, you know, we've seen that happen a handful of times. He had the pass, uh, 
can't was it Green Bay or Arizona? You know, the one that like hit him in the back. Yeah, and Stafford yeah. tried to throw it to him. So there's been a few of those, and I think there's still some some learning curve. But at the same time. You mentioned the throw to carry on that was incomplete. They also ran that screen to carry on that I thought was right. set up to go for like a touchdown, and they got right. 10, uh, and Swift probably turns that into more. So they're still, I think, looking for whatever the balance is here to make sure that they're just not uh, not using the same guy every single time, but also getting Swift the proper amount of touches and, and making sure he's where he needs to be uh, with the playbook and with, you know, the, with Stafford and the rapport and all that sort of stuff. So... I wouldn't be surprised if he gets more touches one or two of these weeks, but I, I don't think you're cutting into Peterson's workload too much as long as Peterson's healthy. The offensive line rotation uh, situation. <laughs> Surprised you waited 35 minutes. They, to get into this one. they play eight guys, which I think Patricia said he, he's not sure if he's ever been involved in an NFL game where they had to play all eight offensive linemen. It felt a little bit like the old when you're playing high school football in one of the early season scrimmages where they just start f- rotating guys in and waves to see who can play and who can't. It was obviously injury-related situations uh, were involved here. And I don't know, Patricia was very, I don't know, he didn't answer the question multiple times when asked, are you rotating the guards or was the fact that Crosby uh, and Vitae, who both had hydration issues in the first half, had to leave the game, was that why you bring Joe Dahl in and Abushi in and put Jonah Jackson on the sideline because you were worried that they were also he, Jonah might also have hydration issues or are you rotating the guards? I don't where where do you land on this whole thing? Cause we've been over the guard rotation forever. I feel like they're blocking the, they're blocking everything pretty well. They're getting seven yards of carry. Jackson probably wasn't perfect. I know you want to get Dahl back in the game. If anything, I can nitpick about it after having thought about the whole thing over again. I can buy a lot of the injury stuff as maybe a reason, but the timing of they're up 14-3, uh, Jacksonville just turned the ball over, and now you decide to maybe make one extra move on your offensive line. That was the one that was confusing to me, but beyond that, I don't, I don't know. I mean, we're it's very weird. It's very strange, but where are you <laughs> sitting on this offensive line stuff? I just I can't figure it out. Part of me still thinks that he thinks a guard rotation is somehow beneficial, which I just can't understand. First off, I find it hard to believe that he's never played in a game where the yeah, teams I mean, played eight. That's what he said. Though, right? <laughs> he did say that. Yeah. I think like it was. It might. It must have been Caldwell. I think it was Caldwell's last year. The Lions went down to New Orleans, and I think they only dressed seven offensive linemen, and then basically ran out of guys <laughs> in the middle of that game because everyone got hurt. Um, so I feel like this happens. But yeah, that was the one. I feel like Dahl was going in there somewhere. Either right? Way. Yeah. Like they were going to rotate Dahl and like Matt Nelson playing tackle, I don't think yes. was was destined to happen. And if Crosby doesn't get hurt, but I think Dahl was probably going to rotate with at least Ibushi and then, or or with uh, Vitae, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Jackson? Yeah. I don't well, know. That's, yeah. that's the curiosity there is who you were going to rotate in. Because I, I do think that they were going to get all some reps just to get him back back in the flow of things and and make sure that they kind of were ramping him back up after he missed a few weeks so I think he was going to rotate in the dehydration issue aside it sure felt like they rotated the two guards right away right like it felt like that was a planned move the first time and then Vitae was like I can't go back in by the way yeah and that was the end of it but it felt like they had a plan to go to Dahl uh and Ibushi at least for that whatever it was, third series, uh, fourth series, whatever yeah. it happened, um, just to sort of get, I don't know if it was just to get a rest because he's, you know, he mentioned it was hot and humid there, you know, just to make sure everyone was, was staying okay, which they didn't anyway, but it, it's weird, man. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why they keep I, insisting on doing this. So like I can buy a couple things here. Like Vitae is physically right now, Vitae is like barely hanging on. Right. I mean, right. let's be yep. clear. I mean, he's, he had a foot injury in camp. Uh, we were actually there, I think, the day that he that he yeah. hurt himself, and he was severely limited. Uh, he didn't play in week one or two. He comes back and can barely play in you know, but they need him, so he goes in there and plays, and they move him inside to guard. I it, you know, obviously, Dahl has been hurt, and you, you don't want to overwhelm him. It's eighty two degrees. Vitae's a big dude. You know, maybe he doesn't have his wind and all this stuff. I don't know. I can understand wanting to limit. Um, you know, sort of the the strain that you're getting from him because you you know he was very good on the ground in this game. Uh, he was good. He held up in pass pro when he was in there, but it was only 25 snaps. He played well when he's in the game, but it was only 25 snaps. I can maybe understand if you're trying to 
save some of that while also breaking Dahl back in. But what I can't understand, unless Jonah Jackson was injured, is why Odeobushi is coming in the game at all in that situation. Like, why is Jonah Jackson leaving the game? You can rotate Dahl in for Vitae and then just, like, move on with your day. I don't, you know, like, I guess Crosby was hurt too, so maybe Mountain, but Matt Nelson comes in. So I, I don't know. I mean, like, that's the thing where I don't understand why you're messing with Jonah Jackson in this scenario. I don't think that that's beneficial for him. I don't think that helps him. I, I can get limiting, you know, damage if you think a guy's only half, you know, half ready to play but is trying to gut it out for you. I can get that. But, man, the rest of it's just, like, I think it's, I think Patricia, because he said this last year, right? And I think he comes at it from a defensive perspective in that, you know, giving defensive tackles and such different guys to look at inside can sometimes, he thinks, throw off, you know, their path or their, you know, game or whatever it ends up being. But I think when you say that, you're also leaving out, you're not taking into account the fact of that it disjoints your offensive line and makes them have to reshuffle so much. That part doesn't make any sense to me. I guess we'll see if it continues forward. But other than that, I mean, they played really well for eight guys <laughs> yeah. going out there. I mean, overall, they're holding up. I and mean, we've talked about this every week that they've been a really fascinating like project that seems to be heading in the right direction. Ragnow was hurt all week. Still ends up going out there and playing really well, hanging on. It was great early, and then I think maybe he started to feel the effects of that injury. But they're hanging in there, and they're coming along, and you can sort of see the signs here, I think, a little bit of a promising offensive line. I think that that's, that's fair to say at this point. Yeah, and I mean, I think we do need to give Ragnow some credit because they oh, yeah. did not know if he was going to play. He wound up playing every snap. Yep. Uh, and, and like you said, at least for the start of the game, played pretty well. I mean, there were a few plays at the end where – he was doing like the Steve Eiserman like lean on the stick to get off the up off the ice move. You right. know, uh, it just it looked like he could barely move, but uh, held up and and was out there. So I think you give him credit, and Decker certainly played well again. So, mm-hmm. and there are those glimpses of what this is supposed to look like. I thought the pass protection, you know, Jacksonville is banged up. They're not very good up front. They, you know, Josh Allen wasn't there, so you should protect well in that game, and I think they did, but. You know, some of those run plays, the the swift run, the long swift run was just yeah. a clinic up front. Great stuff. And then they, you know, they had the the goal to go situation from the five. They just ran it three times. You'd like to get in in fewer than three attempts, but the fact that they stuck with it and it worked. Uh, you know, the Peterson touchdown run was well. Kabinda mm-hmm. just clobbered someone yeah. on that Peterson touchdown run. So, you know, yeah, I mean, I think you you see what it maybe could be. I just don't know what they view final picture looking like you know is it Crosby at right tackle is Vitae just going to be like a sixth lineman here I don't know what I don't know what 10 million dollars you better be more than that well but if Dahl's going to be back in the line I I don't want we don't have to rehash this right now I just don't know who the five are going to be for them and maybe it's going to be six you know last year they went to that rotation and everyone was like what are you doing and then Mm -hmm. somebody got hurt and Patricia was like, well, it's a good thing we use the rotation. And uh, so maybe that's the plan again. Maybe they're just going to rotate Dahl, Vitae, and Jackson for whatever reason inside and see what happens. But and, I think Jackson's got to be on the field. I mean, I he's yeah, great. Oh, yeah. He's been great. Yeah. So I think he needs to be out there. And I will note that every time this comes up, the smile that comes across Patricia's face when he says, well, I'm glad we rotated him, is like something that – I think people probably would need to see. Maybe they won't. Maybe they don't need to see it. They're probably too frustrated with everything else. But that seems to be the case either way. I guess we'll have to see on that one. Okay, Galladay, uh, the receivers. Kenny Galladay yesterday has a big play down the field. Gets a draws a passenger. I think it was at least one. Was there two DPIs that he drew? Um, back in the game, playing well was a huge factor in everything they were doing. Uh, and you wrote a little bit about Kenny's Instagram message that he had yesterday. The contract <laughs> situation has been hanging here now all the way into October. We thought maybe that they would get this done before the season. I think everybody sort of thought that. He's discussed it a few times with us during the year, and he's kind of joked it off a couple times and been like, I don't know, you know, that's not something I'm worrying about. But obviously it is something he's worrying about or at least thinking about. Where are we landing on all of this uh, on October 19th as we sit here uh, discussing the whole thing? Well, the way he answered questions Friday made it sound like there was going to be a contract extension out Saturday. Like, <laughs> he was playing coy about it, but that's right. the way, you know, like, well, should we, is it something coming? He's like, well, they haven't announced it yet. Like, what does that mean? What does mean? that mean? Like, yeah, right. <laughs> 
But so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that the safest assumption is that he's saying, look, I'm a top 10 receiver, maybe a top five receiver in this league, and you need to pay me like that, which yeah. is 18 to $21 million a year. And the Lions are saying, we don't see you there yet. You're a 15 to $16 million a year right. guy. If, if they want to even go that high, and I don't, who knows. Um, but we've seen repeatedly and to the frustration of many throughout this regime that the Lions really put a cap on where they value guys. Yep. This is your maximum value. And if a player says, I'm worth more than that, then sometimes they just say, all right, well, we don't think so. And Moving that's on. it. That's yeah. the end of it. And they've got the franchise that tag there if they want to use it, which would you know, be expensive, but it'd only be for a year. And so I think maybe... I mean, that's the safest assumption is that that's what's happening. And, you know, his agent is uh, – Galladay's agent has the same agent as Dak Prescott, mm-hmm. which is – that's not a, you know, one-for-one one situation here, but it's something similar developing yeah. uh, in Dallas or had been developing before Dak's injury. So, um, I mean, I think that's the safest assumption. I mentioned some of the other possibilities uh, in our observations, which is, you know, the most troubling one would be that Sheila uh, Fordham said you can't do this right now until we see where the season's going, which right. I cannot imagine is an answer, but I guess it's possibly I mean, on the maybe. table. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is that they just don't see him as a long-term piece of right. this thing, which again, I cannot imagine that that's, that's where they're at. So you kind of just go back to the money again, but I, they've got to get this done, right? I mean, it's I, got, yeah. they have to lock him up. I, I mean, I, we, we were talking before the show actually, and I, I said, like, I go back and forth sometimes, and I always end up in the same place. Like, there are times where I'll look at Galladay and I'll say, you know, is he a t- you know, is he worth that 18 to 21? Just, you know, just me and my own mind. Is he worth that? And then there are times where I say, I'm not sure that he is. And then I'll watch more, and then I'll always go back to, like, any indication that I had that I thought he was overvalued goes away. Because he is a factor uh, in everything that they do. And I feel like... When you have a guy who's at least in shouting distance of being worth that, then that's better than starting over and hoping that you can hit on another guy again just the way that you did with him. You know, he was a third-round pick. It works out. It was good value at the start. Now you're going to have to pay him. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, I would probably just pay him. I mean, like, that's probably <laughs> the easiest answer, right? I mean, I, I don't think I would nickel and dime him. Uh, I don't think I would nickel and dime him if I'm Bob Quinn in this scenario at all, because like, what are you doing, man? Like these people, we've been yeah. over this with a bunch of different guys who get frustrated here. And so I can see paying Kenny Galladay over paying any of the other guys we've had this discussion with. I guess I put it that way, including yeah. Slay. And I, I think mean, that that's, that's the, where I land on it. Sorry. I, I just, I, I think that there's, there's kind of these weird tiers to where the wide receiver contracts are out because, right. you know, Robert Woods just came in at like 16.3 million and Adam Thielen's at 16.2 million and uh, Mike Evans is at 16.5. And if I say those names and I say Kenny Galladay's in that mix, like that feels right. Yeah, me. it does. Yeah. And then again, if he's looking up at, you know, Amari Cooper, Michael Thomas and saying, I'm going to be one of these guys in a year. And they're making nineteen twenty million a year. Right. Um, I could see the argument on that side of things too, especially as you know contracts keep going up. Which you know the other possibility I mentioned is that maybe the Lions are just not sure what the cap's going to look like, and so maybe. they're a little worried about committing to it because they have you know Stafford's cap hit goes up next year. They just gave Decker an extension, Collins and Flowers. They've got some high priced guys here, and so to tack on. You know, 18, 19 million a year for Galladay does hamstring you a little bit, but they don't have they don't have anything beyond this year. They have Quintez Cephas signed beyond this year, yeah, and he didn't play Sunday. Uh, Jones, I don't think is. I mean, it feels unlikely that Marvin Jones is back. Right. I don't know that Danny Amendola needs to be back. You've got to get Galladay. You've got to figure it out. You can't start over at wide receiver next year unless yeah. you're just starting over every single thing next year. Right, exactly. Uh, and, so I think you've got to pay him. I mean, maybe, he's... A, maybe above what you want to pay him, but I think you've got to pay him. Right, I mean, what is he? He's, what, 24, 25? I mean, I don't know. Whatever. He, he's a young enough guy to where he should be... He should factor into this franchise's future plans long-term, regardless of the regime, the same that Frank Ragnow would, or the same that, you know, I don't know how many other guys we can put on that list right now, but, like, he is it. He's on that list. The list is very short, but of, of all the guys that you're pocketing money for and saying, we can't pay you this because we have to pay that guy that, Galladay 
should be one of the the guys on that that guy list of like we have to pay Kenny Galladay, so we have to be careful with what we're spending elsewhere. He's actually going to be 27 next month, so I don't know so if that's part of older, it, but still, know. you would think yeah. you'd get one more really good contract for. I would <laughs> think know, so. Four I, more years at least before he gets to that uh, 30 year old line. Yeah. So, and I mean, I just the, the nickel and diamond stuff, man. I mean, it it it's been proven effective in situations that are already. Uh, sort of established to begin with, but when you're doing that with a with a franchise that is struggling to find its identity and is and should be clinging to dear life to any talented player who wants to be here, like that, that's right. that should be a factor. And to me, that is worth the extra however many million dollars that it ends up being to go from tier one B to tier one A or whatever it ends <laughs> up. You know, as we sit right now in 2020, when as you said everything's going to be different anyway in like two more years. So maybe there's something more to it. I don't know. I, I doubt it could be anything other than the scenarios you put forward there, though. And uh, all of them seem workable. And, it, you know, unless he's coming out with like, I want something so insane that's never been seen before, you know, then I don't know what we're talking about here. Because that's that's the only reason I can think in my mind. With If he's coming out with, I want money that, you know, I want... I don't even know what that number would be, but like, or he doesn't want. To, I mean, the, yeah. the I guess the the final alter the final options that he just doesn't want to be here could be, yeah. Um, but even and you know I don't want to read too much into like a one line Instagram right. post <laughs> caption, but you know saying he said in the summer he thought he was going to get the contract signed before the season started. He said Friday he thought it you know, like hinted it might be coming, right? And then he said after the game, you know, wrote after the game Sunday, like you know, pay up. It, right. it sounds like he'd be fine staying here if the Lions pay him gonna the pay way him. he feels yeah. like he wants to be paid. So um, we'll monitor I don't know. it. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we got some questions today, actually, which Chris put out a um, uh, tweet for asking for some questions. We, we'll do that from time to time. I think that's a good idea. And we got a few. So if you don't follow us on Twitter, Chris is at Chris Burke NFL. I'm at Nick Baumgartner. Uh, you can ask those questions whenever you want. Just uh, shoot us a line and say podcast question, and we'll be sure to tuck them away. But we do have a few here, so before we wrap up, we can get into that. Uh, first one from Jeff. Chris, uh, can Jared Davis be converted into an edge, rush, edge rusher this late in his career? And what is the cap hit for releasing <laughs> Jelani Devon? <laughs> and so I think the Davis question at this point, and obviously I don't know what his future, you know, I don't know how much, but for right now, for here and now, like what, what, can, what can we say – you know, maybe what we saw yesterday, limited, but in situational. I don't know. I mean, like, what, what, right now, what do we, what do we think he can do? You know, for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, we, we've kind of talked about this possibility before, right? That he could be a an edge rusher, or maybe yeah. just use him on the edge and don't call him an edge rusher or whatever you want to do with him. And I, I mean, I think he's got some value there. He was, he was on the edge, and and they flushed Minshew out of the pocket at least once Sunday that I remember off the top of my head. So you know, he's. A guy that maybe can help you there, but I, I think his real, I think where we've seen him be most effective, and it's really not even close, is when they can tee him up on some of those blitzes through the A gap. Yeah, right. And you know you can only, you can't use that every time right. he's on the field, but I think that that's his best value as a pass rusher. I don't think he's really, uh, I don't know that he's necessarily big enough or long enough to be like a, a true edge rusher, and I don't think he's good enough against the run to help you on yeah. run defense anyway. So it makes it a little tough, but. Um, I mean, I think you're right. I think if this could be a, a viable role for him, if they're going to keep him on this team, use him on special teams, use him 10, 12 snaps a game and just kind of pick your spots. Yeah, I would agree with all of that. I mean, I, I think that pick your spots is probably the best case scenario. And then whatever happens going forward, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. There's a lot of work there for Jared Davis. I don't I, I'm, I'm not sure this is just a system thing. I mean, maybe who knows, but I guess we'll see. Uh, going forward. Question from Jeremy. We have to get a quarterback question in here, of course. Um, <laughs> the quarterback carousel looks like it'll be wild next offseason and in the draft. There seems to be a big drop-off after Trevor Lawrence. Uh, I would introduce Jeremy to Justin Fields, but that's neither here nor there. How do you see it playing out, the whole quarterback carousel next offseason, and may the Lions fit in? This is a long-winded way of saying, I think, uh, the question I think we've all probably been asked a million times, you know, how long is Stafford going to be here? What's the situation with that? Would they ever trade him? It, there, there's no easy answer to any of this, I don't think, obviously. But if you want to take a crack at it here, we can, we can give it a shot. I, I think we can say pretty comfortably they're not going to get Trevor Lawrence. The Jets Probably, are yeah. one of the worst football teams I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> so, you yeah. know, they'd have to lose out and get some yeah. help. 
Um, yeah, Justin Fields. I mean, Trey Lance. Uh, Lance too, yeah. I'm sure there's some names that um, might emerge maybe later on. And I think that that's, you know, kind of where you're, you'd be looking at. It's really hard to just say, we're going to trade Stafford. We're going to get a quarterback in the draft. And that's what our plan's going to be. Right. Uh, unless you're signing some, you know, I guess you can go find a, your Ryan Fitzpatrick somewhere and hope to bridge the gap for a year. And maybe. Maybe if they switch regimes and they really start this thing over, that's the plan. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, for me, I think it's been surprising for a lot of people that they haven't done more to invest at that position right. behind Stafford and develop someone. And we keep saying every year, well, they should take a quarterback. They should take a quarterback. So they should take a quarterback. Yeah, <laughs> now say. it's really, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and I don't know which one that's going to be. Like maybe you start looking – deeper into the draft and and look at those third round three round four guys and maybe that's where they find their uh i, I don't even know off the top of my head who like jamie newman or you mm-hmm. know whoever happens kellen mond like whatever your names are that you want to throw out there but i think they have to they've waited too long frankly and now you're behind the eight ball with it yeah i don't know what the easy answer is because again like you said if you want to get diving into rounds three and four to try to find a guy Sometimes I mean you're flirting with are you finding a guy that you want to replace this guy or are you finding you're trying to find a backup like what are you doing like I mean that's sort of where it comes. I mean I feel like if you're going to invest in this long term and you want to keep him here you know for a couple more years or whatever ends up, ends up being then that investment in the draft has to be higher than I mean you could go in the second I guess maybe the third but I wouldn't go further than that I mean it's got to be one of the top you know one of the top end guys that you're looking at and ideally it would be in a year where the class is deep and like you said maybe maybe it'll shape out it could be i mean it it could be a deep draft i mean mac jones is already a guy now people are talking about as like round one round two range so you could end up with (sighs) see about that (laughs) (laughs) but yeah no Uh, but that's the hard part right is we just don't know like it's like it's impossibly difficult to find the right spot to like wait and wait and wait and thread the needle perfectly on, on some of this stuff. It just is. And like you, some of it is bouncing the luck of the bounce. Like whoever gets Trevor Lawrence shouldn't have to worry about their quarterback for the next however. I mean, that guy seems to be the closest thing to, you know, a legit dude that we've seen in some time. And I think, and that would include Burrow of last year. That's me, but that, you know, who knows, but those guys don't, they don't exist often. This is actually a unique year in that you might even have two in that you have Lawrence and fields at the top of the top of the heap here. Um, and everybody likes Lance, as you said earlier. But like, I feel like if you're going to invest in this, it's got to be higher. It's got to be higher on your priority list. And they have too many other things all the time that you can't, you know, like you can't just take a first well, round pick on a quarterback right. and not play him. It feels like, you know. Well, you've got and the thing is, I mean, you've got to do it at some point. Even if yeah. Stafford, even if you're saying we're we're not getting rid of, we're not moving Stafford, and you give him a contract extension right. and you keep him for three, four more years, like. Uh, just from a time perspective <laughs> like yeah. we're you know you're you're now on the other side of the mountain here with Stafford like you're headed towards the end of his career uh, at this point you know not that it's going to happen this offseason or next offseason but at some point you've got to make those contingency plans and if you're drafting a guy who's not plug and play like a Burrow or a Trevor Lawrence that you're picking one or two you've yeah. got to do that with a year or two forward thinking so i think that this certainly is a year that they should take a quarterback but i thought again i thought that last year and i thought that the year before that you know and the longer it goes the less time i think they need they can wait in the in the draft i think that's the takeaway is Mm -hmm. we all agree on that they should have taken one probably two years ago but you could have gotten away maybe with waiting a little longer and maybe taking a project on a guy now i feel like that that window tightens but uh, you know i don't know i guess we'll see how it goes a couple more here andy uh, did you guys agree with the, with kicking the 57-yard field goal? I thought it was a typical, terrible coaching decision. I, I was saying. so happy we got this question. <laughs> so happy. Go for it. Do you agree I mean, with think, kicking the 57-yard field goal? Well, I think this was right after the carry on Johnson screen that I talked yeah, about. Yeah. <laughs> it could have gone for 25 and it went for 11. Uh, no, I didn't agree with it. <laughs> um, but I... I <laughs> This is probably why I'm not an NFL coach. I'm kind of on the fence about what the alternative was. Do you go on fourth and nine at the 40, or do you give Jack Fox a chance to? I don't love kicking from inside the opponent's 40, you know, punting from inside the opponent's 40 either. But, you know, uh, they, this has been sort of a theme throughout the Matt Patricia era is that they're very comfortable just sort of settling for a 55 yard field goal with Matt Prater. 
Right. And he hasn't made any of them this no. year. Yeah. Um, you know, he's ultra reliable from inside 50, inside 40, certainly. But he hasn't hit any of those bombs this year. Uh, and it's, you know, at best, you're probably a 50-50 proposition when you're getting out to 55, 60 yards yeah. outdoors with a little yeah. bit of wind. Um, so that was, you know, I think it was... I guess it made a little more sense just because you were in a, a decent spot in that game and you trusted your defense to get a stop against the Jaguars at that point. But I, I just, in general, don't agree with their decision-making with the no. greater field goals. No, and I think, like, sometimes when when teams get in those, like, weird spots, like you said, like you're, no one's a fan of punting inside uh, the 40 there either necessarily. But it's also kind of like one <laughs> of these... Friends. Yeah, right. But it's all, I, mean, I know they had a penalty on that drive <laughs> yeah. and everything else. Um, but sometimes it's almost kind of like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how what they could have done in this scenario, but I've seen it in other scenarios where your second and third down calls need to be not with maybe we're going to kick a 57-yard field goal at the end of this in mind, right? Like, I think that that's pr- part of the frustration that people get. But they're also third and 20, and they run that, 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 that little out to carry on that only goes for 11 and maybe could have gone for a bunch more. Maybe that was the idea that it would have gone for a bunch more, but also, like, why is Swift not in the game there in that scenario? I don't know. No, it's never a good idea, I, I feel like, to be doing that. I, I just I, – what would I have done in that scenario? I, probably, I don't know. I mean, I I would have either punted or gone for it. I wouldn't have kicked it. I think that's yeah, probably well, I, I mean, good. I think yeah. – well, yeah, I mean, Jack Fox has been the best punter in football, yeah. so <laughs> you could have uh, certainly pinned him back. But, uh, you know, fourth and nine – from the opponent's 38, and you're already, I think it was 14 to 3 at that yeah, point. Yeah. And I'm sort of thinking to the, you know, teams that have, other teams that have elite quarterbacks in this league, like, They're I don't think it. the yeah. Packers are kicking a few goal no. there. I don't no. think the Chiefs are kicking a few goal there. You know, I think you're, if you're going to build this thing, you know, if you have the weapons the Lions have, uh, I think you have just as much chance going for it there. And, uh, you know, that's, the analytics might say something else. I'm just speaking off, you know, yeah. just shouting off my opinion here. But it, I, I think you go for it in that spot if it's me. Yeah, it's not careless to trust your guys a little bit, you know. Like, I feel like sometimes some of that gets into the – and not that you're not trusting Prater, but, like, you know, I think all things equal. If Prater, if you ask Prater, hey, would you rather try this 57-yard field goal or would you rather they go for it and get a first down? He'd probably say, I'd rather they go for it and get a first down. So, like, <laughs> sometimes it's not the worst thing to say, okay, do we think we can get – Do we have Matthew Stafford, Kenny Galladay, uh, a bunch of these weapons that we really like, Hawkinson. Do we think we can get nine yards against the Jaguars here? And if we don't, like, our defense is actually playing okay. Like, you know, is it the worst thing in the world? I don't know. I mean, that's – one of those no man's land situations that it's, but I think the frustration for people comes out that it feels like their default always is to just boot it and see yeah. what happens. It's weird to me too, just knowing how much Matt Patricia values just even incremental field position, exactly like at a yard. If you go for it and don't make it, you're at the 39. You miss right. the field goal, you don't make it. They're at the 46, 47. 40, yeah. So that that part's weird to me too <laughs> that they don't yeah. lean on that because he does that. I mean. M- Pretty much every special team's decision they make, aside from those long Matt Prater field goals, is contingent on whether or not it's going to give them a field position advantage. Right. And then in these spots, they just don't pay attention to it at all. I so don't I don't get that part of it either. Yeah, agreed. I don't get it either. It's an odd odd situation. I have no idea if it'll continue, but it's one of many odd situations as we go forward. You got any other questions that uh, caught your eye before you sign off here? Uh, I just closed them all up now, so let me pull back yeah. up. I mean, I think the one we kind of touched on this a little bit, but you know, we got multiple questions about whether this is going to be the new normal on defense. Mm-hmm. Like, are they going to look like this again? And we, like I said, we talked about this a little bit, but how much of what happened in that game do you think now we can expect to see for the rest of the season? I would have to see it to believe it. To be honest, I mean, I feel like Patricia's default or his reaction is to just tinker. It's to try to get into the really like splitting hairs details of, well, I like this matchup technically better in this exact scenario. So if that comes up, we're making a change, you know, like I, I feel like that's his instinct and in some ways simplifying stuff and kind of getting more, you know, basic with your base and all that sort of deal, especially against teams that are going to line up, run the ball against you. You know, it, it makes a lot of sense and maybe that's what they'll do because of out of necessity, but it's going to have to be, you know, and maybe that'll be a sign of growth for Patricia. I don't know. But it's going to have to go against sort of some of the evidence we've seen in the past and that they don't stick to the same stuff, uh, when, you know, when it comes to simplification and trying to avoid scenarios that are, you know, you're creating more, you're, you're basically shrinking your margin for error less than it already is for the for a reward that might not come. 
And so I think I'd ha- I think I think my answer would be I'll, I'll have to see it to believe it. I just don't – it might be you know opponent-dependent. That would be probably my guess. It was more opponent-dependent than anything else. But, you know, he did talk all week about, you know, there were things we wanted to do to strip down and really become more, you know, let's find out what we do well. We know what we do well. Let's let's make our living on that. And that doesn't feel like Matt Patricia football to me based on what we've seen over the first, <laughs> right. you know, two and a right. half years. But it's not to say that it couldn't become that. And, you know, I think that that's important, too, is he is coaching for his job. He is coaching for his coaching reputation here, Right. And everyone in football at every level, not fans, I'm talking people that make decisions on who gets jobs and who doesn't, pay attention to this sort of thing. And they pay, t- pay attention to how you learn from your mistakes, how you grow, and all that sort of thing. And so it's very possible that he you know, starts shifting some of those things that we've seen in the past and, and going with stuff that works a little bit more rather than tinkering. But uh, I think I'd have to say I'd have to see it first to, to buy it. Yeah, I think I fall in the same camp. And this will be an interesting matchup, too, because you have, I mean, the Falcons can try to run if they want with Todd mm-hmm. Gurley, uh, but they also have Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones and Matt Ryan, so right. you can spread it and air it out. So I'm not I'm not really sure what it's going to look like. Yeah, and same. I think I kind of agree with you. Um, I think this is going to be – everything we've seen so far suggests that they'll continue to be matchup dependent. Yeah, uh, And I don't think stripping it down necessarily even – meant putting their best 11 you know quote unquote best 11 on the field is just stripping it down to whatever their simplest process was for that game and this game it happened to be we're going to play you know a little heavier front and we're going to take away the run and we'll go from there and it might be totally different next week because they do make those adjustments so frequently so we'll see i mean i think it should be more of the norm and especially matt ryan too you know that's a guy that you cannot let sit back there you got to go get him off his spot exactly uh so maybe, but there's been no evidence that this no. is going to be what it's going to be going forward. Yeah, and that's the thing to remember is we can only predict this stuff based on what we've seen, and it would be against type, but that's not out of the realm of possibility. But in any event, that'll do it for this week, I think. Chris, you got anything else? No, I'm good. Oh, good. <laughs> that's a good one. That was a good one this week. Obviously, people probably a little more uh, light in their step, although the crowd that wanted a loss, maybe not so much. I, I don't think I would advise rooting for a loss every week, but that's, you know, whatever. You do, it, do what you want to do going forward. In any event, we'll be here to cover it all either way next week. Uh, as always, check us out on Twitter. If you have questions for the podcast, at Chris Burke NFL, at Nick Baumgartner. Check us out on iTunes. Uh, what are we, Spotify, iTunes, Google Plays, or anything we're not on yet, Chris? Uh, only the athletic app. I only think. the athletic app. <laughs> but everywhere else you can get us. Everywhere else you can get us. Make sure to do that. Tell your friends. Rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. And we'll be back here next week to break down Lions Falcons. For Chris, I'm Nick. We'll talk to you later.